Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Those are verses 3 through 6 of Psalm 37. First, first, first 18 verses of which are the psalm appointed for today, Thursday, April the 22nd, 2021. We're continuing in the book of Daniel, in 1 John, and in the Gospel of Luke today. And so if you remember yesterday, the new king, Belshazzar, had, had, had um, brought in the vessels brought from the, that his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and had brought to Babylon. And he had had them uh, there with his uh, lords and the other leaders in the kingdom, a thousand of them, and they brought them in so that they could drink wine out of them. And when they finished drinking the wine, or when they had drunk the wine, they gave thanks to the gods of gold and silver, bronze and wood and all those other things and didn't give thanks to God. And when they did that, then this hand appeared and wrote something on the wall. He called the enchanters, the diviners, the Chaldeans, and the others in, and asked them to interpret what was written on the wall, but none of them could interpret it. But the queen remembered a man, and that man was Daniel. And so she remembered him, and she remembered the stories of what he had done in the times of King Nebuchadnezzar, the father of the king. And so the king ordered Daniel brought in before the king and so he comes in and he makes him a promise you're Daniel one of the exiles of Judah whom the king my father brought from Judah I've heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you now these others that I brought in here couldn't tell me what in the world was here and interpret this writing on the wall but I've heard you can give interpretations and solve problems if you can read this and make it known to me you'll be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and be the third ruler in the kingdom which is what he had promised the others who were unable to do that and Daniel's response is you keep those things you give those rewards to somebody else nevertheless I'll read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation and then he gives him a lecture. The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of that, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. When he would, he killed, and whom he, whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive, whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But then his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly. And he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken away from him. Until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, even though you knew all this. But you lifted up yourself against the King of Heaven, and then you brought those vessels in here, and you drank from wine from those vessels, and then you praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you do not see or hear. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. And then he says, okay, now I'm ready to explain to you what this writing is and what it says. And, and he then tells him, this is what it says, and this is the interpretation. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. You've been weighed in the balances and found waiting, and your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. In other words, the kingdom of Babylon is going to fall. Not only that, his time's done, and that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. 
So Daniel prophesied this based on what was written on that wall, and it came to pass that very same night. But in the meantime, after Daniel did that, Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Well, it's not really a great thing to be the third ruler in the kingdom that's about to fall and be divided among other people. Daniel didn't care. It didn't have anything to do with him. He wasn't born to be a ruler in Babylon. He was born to be a servant of the living God. And we all are. And our ability and our desire to acknowledge him and to honor him and to praise him is what truly matters about our lives. We can have all these things, but if we do not recognize him as the Most High God, the one who gives us all things, then we will fail and we'll be weighed in the balance as well. And that was, remember, Moses' great concern about the people when they come into the land, they would forget that he's the one who brought them there. And it's always a danger, particularly in the second generation, right? Because God didn't have grandchildren. That's something I've heard for a long time. And Belshazzar might have had the same job as his father, but he wasn't the same man as his father. And so while Nebuchadnezzar was willing to give thanks to God and recognize God as the Most High in whose hand are all the kingdoms of the earth, then he was allowed to keep his kingdom. But Belshazzar, as second generations often are, didn't recognize the same truth. And it didn't last. It wasn't his kingdom. The kingdom's belong to God. And so it was taken away from him, and it's easy to forget that truth, I think. Especially if we've had it handed to us. But um, but here, Belshazzar is, has it taken away from him that very night. It, it's always a good thing for us to remember where all things come from, and remember who we are in light of that. And that's what happens here in this gospel. This is one of my favorite gospel lessons, actually. It's uh, Luke 5, 1 to 11. So Jesus is, is preaching. He's around the lake of Gennesaret up in Capernaum. He's preaching there and speaking to the people. And he sees two boats. And the fishermen had already gone out of them. And they were there washing their nets. They were getting ready to go home and get some sleep. They'd been fishing all night. And, and now they're preparing everything so that it's ready to go the next day when they come back that night. And so Jesus comes and he gets into one of those boats with these fishermen who were sitting on the shore, and, and it was Simon's boat. He asked him to put out a little bit from the land. Jesus needed to get a little distance because it's easier to speak to the people from that distance. They can see him, he can see them, and so Simon obliges. And then Jesus sits down and he teaches the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he looks to Simon and says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. So it's the middle of the day now, and here we are, and Simon's been working all night. He's cleaned up everything. He's got it ready to go for the next evening's fishing, and Jesus says, go ahead and, and let's do it again now. And so it's going to mean some work, and, and he's going to have to get those nets back out. He's going to have to let them back down in the deep, and then... He's going to have to clean them again afterwards. And they've had no luck all night. And Jesus tells him to do it. And he says, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. 
And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats, plural, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Who did he think Jesus was? And why did he think that? It's the same thing that Isaiah said in the temple in Isaiah 6 when he sees the seraphim flying around. (laughs) Talking about the holiness of God. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And that's exactly what Peter says here. It's the same thing as Isaiah says in Isaiah 6 when he sees the holiness of God in the temple in the form of these angelic beings. And Peter's just seen a great catch of fish. He concludes something about Jesus and that statement that he makes to him there, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord, is to say I've come into the presence of something extraordinary. I've come into the presence of something that's holy. And it's not a safe place to be. For all and he who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so also were James and John, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They filled up two boats with fish. This is their business. They're partners in this business. It's not pleasure fishing. They filled up two boats with fish. So that they began to sink and they walked away from them. Greatest catch probably they'd ever had in their entire lives. And they walked away. They left everything behind and followed after Jesus because of what they had seen. They knew that what happened here was not just some random sort of thing that had happened. They knew they'd come into the presence of something that was extraordinary. They knew that he was more than just a guy who knew where the fish were. And they followed him. They walked away from everything. And that's the call on our lives, frankly, is that, that we would follow him in all that we do. And that's that 37-4, the, the delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart from that psalm. And, you know, I can remember probably the first insight I ever really remember having that meant anything at all <laughs> was that one, where I realized that that was not about... Jesus giving me everything that I might want on earth. and Because that's what he did here, right? He gave them the greatest catch of fish they'd ever seen, and they walked away from it. Because what it did was it showed them that the desires of their heart were for something more than great commercial success. They had great commercial success that day, and yet it didn't matter anymore because of Jesus. And I think those are the most important three words we'll ever utter and we need to think those all the time because of Jesus because of Jesus nothing else has the same allure has the same value in our lives that it does to other people because of Jesus we're different people because of Jesus our values are different because of Jesus our desires are different because of Jesus our passions are different or at least they should be right (laughs) sometimes we don't live up to that standard all that well But that's why there's repentance, and that's why there's redemption. This is that we can get lost, and we can get lost in the weeds for a time, but he doesn't allow us to stay lost. And that's kind of what is going on in this 1 John 5 passage. It's verses 13 to 21, and he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you know that you have eternal life. 
And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that he ha- we have the request that we have asked of him. God doesn't just hear his children. He responds to his children. And John says, as long as you're asking according to his will, which is giving you the desires of your heart, and you're praying according to God's will, because he's the one who put those desires in your heart. The things that you want, when you ask for them, you'll receive them because he put those desires there. I can remember, I don't know, a long time now, maybe 20 years ago, there was this prayer of Jabez. It was a really popular sort of a thing, and, and people were praying the prayer of Jabez, and they were praying it so that they would receive more. Because that was the premise of the book, and, and the premise of the book really was that. And the question that would be asked is, well, I'm praying for more because I want to have more opportunities to witness to other people. And if you give me more business, then you'll give me more clients, then I can have more opportunities. Well, not necessarily. I get a lot of opportunities to witness to people because I'm not so engaged in my business that I'm available to people on their terms, not my terms. And so it, it, it was clear that they would say, is it wrong for me to pray for an increase in my business if that increase in my business gives me this opportunity? Well, you're praying for an increase in the business. <laughs> it's a secondary thing that you're praying for that it gives you an opportunity to speak to other people. No, huh? you got that backwards. Pray, just pray that God give you an opportunity to share the gospel. If that's the desire of your heart, just pray for that. And he'll take care of the rest. But that's kind of the, the, the backwards confusion, sort of health and wealth gospel that we've come to believe so wholeheartedly in America. And so John then goes on to say this, and this is so strange. And it's difficult to understand. There's multiple ways of understanding it. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him his life to those who commit sins that don't lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I don't say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there's sin that does not lead to death. And those are some of the most confusing words in all of Scripture, to be honest with you. And if you want to look it up, I'll put a link over there on the other side where Derek Thomas from Ligonier Ministries talks about the four basic sorts of interpretations um, of that passage. And it's a little confusing, to say the least. And, and what he's trying to get at, is, and what he ultimately comes down to is his own interpretation of it, and I'll just go with that, is is that that if you call somebody a brother and you see him committing a sin that, le- that does not lead to death, then pray for him and God will forgive him. But if it does lead to death, it's going to lead to death. And it's still speaking about a brother, but, but what Eric Thomas says that that means is, is that it has to do with it, it, it seems that that person is a brother. And so it, it talks, it's along the lines of how do you lose your, can you lose your salvation? And, and what he's essentially getting at is, is that, that you, can, you can look like you're a brother, you can look like you're a believer and still not be a believer, and you can commit those sins that lead to death, not because you lost your salvation, but because you never really had it. And so that's the way of looking at it. He said, we know everyone who's been born of God doesn't keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We're no, we know that we're from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And that's the most important thing we can possibly know, that we are from God. 
And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols, from false gods, from those things that do not save, those things that pretend to be precious in value, but ultimately are not, because they themselves are not eternal. Belshazzar made a problem for himself by worshiping things that aren't eternal, things that are not gods at all, things that are made by human hands, instead of the God who made humans with his hands.